Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is going to have any useful answers for you. You can, however, send in a question for our next episode by shooting an email to upfront at kpfa.org. You can also tune in for the next edition live and ask your question over the phone then. We normally air Monday mornings on KPFA just after 7.30 news headlines. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. You're listening to Upfront here on KPFA. I'm Philip Mulderry sitting in for Brian edwards Teekert, who's taking a few weeks off. And we're, even though it's Tuesday, we're acting like it's a Monday as yesterday, of course, was Juneteenth, and we had special programming in honor of Juneteenth. So uh, as is typical on a Monday at 7.33, I'm joined on the phone by Dr. John Schwartzberg. Uh, Dr. Schwartzberg is clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases at University California Berkeley School of Public Health, and he informs us each week about what we should know and uh, might learn about the COVID epidemic. Uh, Dr. Schwartzberg, uh, welcome back to Upfront. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, the uh, uh, Let me just start with the, the news this past week, which was that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's independent panel of advisors on the COVID epidemic uh, met and unanimously voted not to uh, endorse uh, a regular uh, annual uh, vaccination for COVID. Or maybe I'm misstating exactly what they decided. Would you explain what they decided? Sure will. First of all, the mechanics of it. The FDA has a, has a committee that is an independent advisory committee for the FDA. And they typically take on important questions and advise the FDA. The FDA doesn't have to follow their opinion, but they almost always do. So last week on June 15th, that committee, the independent committee met and discussed the question of should there be a fall vaccine booster? And if so, what should the composition of that be? The answer to the first question, should there be a fall vaccine booster, is yes. They, they unanimously endorsed that. They also unanimously endorsed what the composition of that vaccine would be, and that's really the interesting part to this. The composition this time is going to be a monovalent vaccine, meaning it only contains, it will only contain information about a specific um, subvariant or subvariants of Omicron. In the past, we've received a bivalent vaccine uh, beginning last fall and then for many in this spring that contained both information about another subvariant of Omicron plus the original strain that started this whole problem back in December, January of 2019-2020. That's no longer going to be part of the vaccine composition going forward. So it won't be what we've all received in the past. The reason for that is that that particular variant that started this problem no longer exists in nature. It hasn't been seen in a long time. It's been replaced by um, different strains of the virus that are more effective in transmitting. 
So it doesn't exist, so why vaccinate people against it? And the other argument is is a, a little more, um, well, nerdy one, and that is that the when we get vaccinated, our bodies respond to the vaccine with what's called imprinting. Our, our immune system responds very well to the original vaccine we got, and maybe a little less well to newer vaccines that are variations on that theme. So the idea is now, why give a vaccine that may cause more imprinting, that is, may blunt a little bit of the immune response to the newer variant that will be in the coming up, the upcoming vaccine? I know I'm throwing out a lot of information here. The bottom line is that the new vaccine this fall will be a will contain information from a variant of a subvariant of Omicron, and that's going to be in the XBB lineage. That's XBB and its cousins now are what are calling causing almost all the cases here in the United States and most of the world. So we're going to have this as a new vaccine, which should give us very good protection going forward, as long as the virus doesn't dramatically change and, and get a new um, Greek letter like pi coming after Omicron, which we don't see any evidence of. So after that long dissertation, bottom line is, yes, there will be a new vaccine for the fall. Yes, it will be recommended. We don't know for whom yet. The CDC has to chime in on that, and we'll be doing that soon. It will be a monovalent vaccine containing just information about uh, some of the subvariants called XBB. Well, uh, I'm under the impression uh, that uh, there was an effort to more or less tie the booster vaccination for uh, COVID with the annual flu vaccination that all of us uh, are supposed to be getting every fall. Uh, flu uh, uh, seems uh, almost uh, innocuous compared to COVID, but it does kill a lot of people worldwide. And it's, uh, it seems to be prevalent in the wintertime in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, uh, this particular uh, panel indicated that there's no reason to think that COVID is in any way tied to the calendar uh, and that there's no reason uh, to necessarily uh, uh, put it, uh, tie it to the annual flu vaccine. What can you tell us about that? Sure. Well, first of all, you're absolutely right about influenza. It, um, it, it's not as virulent, generally speaking, as, as uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, but it does cause a lot of deaths. On average, influenza kills about 15 to 35,000 Americans every year, people that wouldn't have died otherwise. Um, they get influenza and it, it, um, it puts them in the hospital and many of those folks die. On a bad year, influenza <clears throat> will kill 60, sometimes 70 or 80,000 Americans um, on a really particularly bad season. So flu is a formidable virus for our species and it has established seasonality um, after all these um, really centuries that we've been encountering influenza it is primarily a winter virus it, typically for us we start to see it appear in november but it really um, gains um, force in january and february and then starts to peter out in march so it's very much a winter virus COVID, on the other hand, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, has not 
has clearly established itself as a seasonal virus. It is more prevalent and causes more disease in the winter months, but it is a year-round problem for us. So tying the COVID vaccine to the influenza vaccine uh, doesn't make a lot of sense in that regard, since COVID is not yet a seasonal virus. It likely will become one. We can't we can't know that for sure. The other issue is that uh, since COVID is much more prevalent uh, in December and January, think back to December of um, 21 and January of 22 and December of 22. Um, these these were uh, these were bad months, um, and where most of the deaths, or at least an awful lot of deaths and hospitalizations, occurred. So a good time to get vaccinated against COVID to make sure you're up to date would be in the fall, and that will coincide with the influenza timing. So what we'll probably see this year is that influenza will, like always, be strongly recommended for people, particularly those at high risk, but strongly recommended for everybody, beginning in the fall, uh, and that's the time you should aim for getting it. For most people uh, who got the bivalent vaccine last fall, uh, they will be uh, candidates for it again in the fall. So that's why the two will be um, receiving a lot of attention in the fall. But they won't be given together. Uh, there are studies now that suggest that influenza and the COVID vaccine can be given together. Um, but that's, it's not, there's not enough data yet to do that. So it would re- still would require two jabs, one in each arm. Well, I had the booster in the spring. I had it, I believe, in April or May, uh, the most recent booster. So uh, is that still the bivalent uh, uh, vaccine? Right. So what you got in April or May, is, I, and I, I got mine in April, um, the bivalent one, after getting the first bivalent one last fall in October. Um, so roughly about six months later, five, six months later, the new monovalent vaccine will be available, and that's what I'm going to uh, roll up my sleeve for. Okay. Uh, We're going to open the phones and let our listeners in on this conversation. If you have a question for Dr. Schwartzberg, uh, the phone number is 1-800-958-9008, 1-800-958-9008. You're listening to Upfront here on KPFA. I am Philip Mulderry sitting in for Brian Edwards-Tekert, and of course our guest is Dr. John Schwartzberg. One thing that uh, I find very curious, and this might be just a, a a numbers game, a statistical thing, uh, but I'm under the impression that 1.1 Americans died of COVID, and I'm under the impression that approximately 3 million people died worldwide, and you'll correct those numbers. I'm sure they're not entirely accurate, but it would imply that one in three people on the planet uh, who died of COVID was in the U.S., and uh, the U.S. is only about 5% of the population of the planet. So can you explain those numbers? Right. Well, the reported numbers of Americans who have died to date from COVID is a little bit over 1.1 million. And that's, you know, that, those are just numbers. But, I mean, pause and think about that for a moment. 
1.1 million people over the last three years, three and a half years, have died from this virus. It's, it's an incredible tragedy that we've experienced. The number of people who have died worldwide is reported somewhere around 7 million. Oh, so my number, 3 million, is way off. But still, you're absolutely right. The United States is roughly 4% of the world's population, yet if it's 1 in 7, we would, we would have a much disproportionate number of deaths. So what's going on here? So it's a really interesting question you ask. And the answer is um, data. And the data is just not accurate. There are more Americans than 1.1 million who have died of COVID. Um, probably a significantly larger number than that. Worldwide, the numbers are very much undercounted. For example, back in the spring, there was a, a one-month period in, where only two deaths were reported on the continent of Africa from COVID. And that, of course, was not, is not the case. Uh, there's nothing about people living on that part of the part of the planet that protected them from COVID. It's just that we don't have accurate data about death counts. You know, there's still a debate about how many people died in the 1918-1919 great influenza pandemic. We say it's around 50 million people died in that two-year period, but we really don't know. And I think the same thing holds true now. We'll have a much better idea um, a few years forward when we can look back and have a, get a, a better appreciation for the death rates. But I think what we can say about the United States is that compared to other countries that keep statistics much like the U.S. does, for example, Europe, the United States didn't do quite as well, generally speaking, in terms of hospitalizations and deaths. And I think that that relates primarily to a lot of social issues here in the United States. Um, we know that the, the bulk of the hospitalizations and deaths were in people who make less money and are socially marginal, marginalized. It has to do with our non-healthcare system here in the United States where a lot of people couldn't get the care that they needed. So there are a lot of issues uh, that we need to learn from this pandemic, and it is um, just speaking as a physician and an American, it's, it's somewhat embarrassing that we didn't do much better during this pandemic. Let's go to uh, our first caller. And again, if you want to get in on the conversation, the phone number is 1-800-958-9008. 1-800-958-9008. Uh, Mo is on the line from San Francisco. Mo, you're on the air. Uh, thank you very much and good morning. Um, the last booster I, I got was in October, and I was about to get another one uh, this spring, but I got COVID instead in May. Um, so, in a sense, that was my booster, I, I assume. Uh, would I be eligible to get a, uh, I'm 83, uh, a vaccination in the fall? And when would that be in the fall? Would it be in October, or, or do we know yet, uh, or later? Mo, before uh, John answers your question, uh, was your case of COVID relatively mild or severe? It was relatively mild, and I didn't take the Paxlovid because when I found out the test through PCR, uh, the home test was negative, but the PCR test was positive, and I was on day four. Uh, so I just decided to wait it out. I also got COVID uh about uh, three, four weeks after having gotten the booster, 
and uh, luckily my COVID was relatively mild. So, uh, uh, John, uh, back to Mo's original question. Uh, Should he get the the vaccine in the fall? Yes. Um, I say yes because Mo is over 65, and that's where... um, we have more hospitalizations and deaths, and the older you are after 65, the higher your risk for having a bad outcome. Um, so yes, I would get it. Yes, you're absolutely right, Mo. Your episode of um, COVID in May uh, is acting as an excellent booster. So you've got what's called hybrid immunity. That is a combination of vaccination immunity plus having had the infection. So you have good immunity taking you through the summer months and into the early fall. We don't know yet when the fall booster will be available uh, and recommended. My guess is October, uh, and I would definitely get it to give you protection for the upcoming winter. Um, just a couple of other things about your um, uh, your, your call, Bo. Uh, the fact that you and uh, Philip actually had a, a mild case of COVID, even though you're at higher risk, at least Philip, uh, excuse me, Mo, yeah, you are. I'm a senior also. Yeah. Uh, Even though you both are at higher risk, you had a milder case, and that's clearly attributable to the protection you get from the vaccines. The vaccines don't do a great job protecting you against getting infected in a mild case, even a moderate case. They do a very good job against uh, protecting you against hospitalization and death. The other comment, Mo, is... um, your home test being negative. I think the list, all the listeners need to uh, really be aware that the home test is excellent if it's positive. It has very few false positive results. It's not particularly good if it's negative in one test. You need to repeat it another 24, 48 hours later, and maybe, maybe even again after that. The home tests have a lot of falsely negative results. The PCR test is a much better test for telling you if you're infected or not. And it's interesting, Mo, you had the negative home test, but you had the positive PCR test. Unfortunately, it's a little more difficult to get the PCR test today. You have to go through a few more hoops. But if if it's really important that you know whether you have COVID or not, um, if your home test is negative, but your symptoms are consistent with a respiratory tract infection, even just like a cold, um, you may want to turn to the PCR test if, for example, you're living with someone who uh, is at high risk or you're going to be around other people and you want to be sure you don't have COVID. Let's go to Deborah in San Francisco. Uh, Deborah, you're on the air. Hi. Thank you. Um, I, my question is I'm uh, leaving the country on Friday, and the last booster I received was in October of last year. Would it make sense for me to get another one? I'm 64. And I assume you're flying. Correct. Well, it, it, um, it, it, there are arguments pro and con. At 64, you are at greater risk than somebody at 50, but not nearly the risk of someone at 70. So there's, there's a big difference um, in terms of age, in terms of risk for a, for a more difficult outcome with the virus. Um, if you got the booster now, uh, you would have pretty good protection within a week and excellent protection within two weeks. So it would give you a level of protection for your travel that you otherwise wouldn't have because your immunity from last October's booster has waned. You still have some protection, but it has waned. So it becomes a very personal 
decision, Deborah, for you. Um, I personally would do it if I was 64 and traveling to Europe where I would really, or traveling wherever you're going out of the country, um, and would rather not get sick out of the country. I'd rather not get sick at all, but rather not get sick out of the country. So I probably would do that. Uh, I'd certainly do it at my age because I'm well over 70 um, to have that additional protection. Another thing you can consider, not uh, I would look at it as in addition, is uh, speaking with your physician about taking with you a prescription for Paxlovid. Now that the drug is approved by the FDA, uh, it can be prescribed for by your physician even if you don't have COVID. So taking it with you um, would obviate uh, a lot of the hassle you might have to go through in another country to get treated if you wanted to take that medication. Well, we are out of time, and uh, to the folks that are left on hold, let me uh, inform you that you can send a question to Upfront via email. Upfront at kpfa.org is the easiest way to do that. Dr. John Schwartzberg joins us every Monday. Of course, today is Tuesday, but I explained that already. Every Monday at 7.30 to answer your questions about the COVID epidemic. Uh, John is a clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases at the University of California's uh, Berkeley School of Public Health. So, John, uh, many thanks. And again, uh, you'll be back next Monday, not Tuesday, uh, at 730 with the COVID report. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. And that was the voice of Philip Maldry graciously filling in for me while I was off camping, which is also the reason that we're posting this episode on a little bit of a delay. Hope you still found it helpful. The segment's called Corona Calls. We normally broadcast Mondays just after 7.30 news headlines on KPFA. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information's useful to a lot of people. and We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Teekert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.